It's just basic chemistry, yo. Good morning, and welcome to episode 232, of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballPerspectus.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Uh, hi. Hi. How are you? Okay. I was combing through our iTunes reviews again, um, mm. and I think we got one. I can't tell whether it's better or worse than the Pink Starburst one. Uh, but someone mm. said that the podcast is better than Adam Wainwright's strikeout to walk ratio. Oh, wow. Do you think that people would be more likely to comment if they knew you weren't going to read it uh, or if they knew you were going to read it? Um, <laughs> I guess, I don't know, maybe it depends on, on how nice they are and whether they like the show. <laughs> I don't know. Um, if I start, I mean, I don't know. We, we read the clever ones on air now once in a while so maybe that's additional incentive or maybe it's not i don't know but we appreciate it uh-huh all right uh well thanks everybody mm-hmm. i i did an itunes review today yeah you uh you kept up your end of the bargain that you, you I did. promised you would review anything I've, that people i've 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 done two <laughs> <laughs> okay. so uh yeah all right um what do you want to talk about? Uh, I want to talk about Muninori Kawasaki and chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll talk about the uh, the Tigers and strikeouts and defense. All right. Uh, I, mine probably won't be that long, so I guess I'll start. Um, mine probably won't be that long either. This, this might be my favorite show. Well, we've said that before and then gone 40 minutes. So. 40 minutes, yeah, that's <laughs> so true. We'll see. All right. so, uh, go ahead. Okay, so Kawasaki was, was finally optioned. Uh, which was sort of sad if you like Kawasaki. I guess the the bright side is that he is now even more available for, for the home run derby. Um, so there's that. But uh, he he was optioned because Jose Reyes was returning, and he really was always meant as a stopgap fill-in for Jose Reyes. Um, but it was kind of an unusual way he was optioned in that uh, John Gibbons called sort of an informal meeting after the game yesterday to to tell the team that that he was going to be optioned. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is preciously hard. I know. Uh, which is uh, it's not something that I think I've heard of before. Um, and there was a, a quote at the mlb.com story from Mark Burley who said he doesn't remember ever seeing anything like that at like a team meeting to for where a manager just let the team know that a player was getting sent down uh, and that usually you just come in the next day and his locker is empty and you're like, oh, well, that guy's gone. Um, but, but you know, Kawasaki had come to mean so much to the team uh, that, that Gibbons felt he had to say something and it was an emotional scene. Um, and, of course, Kawasaki had also come to mean a lot to Blue Jays fans, it seemed like. Uh, he was getting his name chanted and serenaded in at bats, and and he was very popular. Do you? Can I just interrupt? Is there any like sort of kind of latent racism in this? Would this be if uh, if he were? Uh, maybe. Well, I mean, maybe like. Do you think? The, there, do you think there's any? That, do you think there's? First off, do you think there's any way? Is there? Do you think there's any precedent for this for uh, say a Dominican player? And do you think that? Uh, I mean, I know there's the sort of the Eckstein thing, mm-hmm. the the kind of way that like Ecksteins get lionized, but 
I mean, this seems to be almost like like the okay. So this is how I felt when I saw the the sign language lady at the Wu Tang show, <laughs> right? right? Did, yes. <laughs> where where like at first I was like, this is amazing. I want to be a better person. It made my day. It made you know it made the first two days. And then the third day I was like, wait, why is there a sign? Why why like is there anybody at that concert who went and. <laughs> is like really now enjoying the show like they didn't they couldn't hear they go to these shows constantly and they're like i don't get the fuss and then like this one person comes out and does the lyrics which like is the least important part of of even of even of a rap show it's like the delivery of the lyrics is significant but the lyrics themselves mean nothing basically and then so so then i started thinking this is probably just an ironic it's an ironic sign language lady and they hire her because it's showy. And so then I thought, wait, are they just making fun of sign language now? Uh-huh. And so then it made my the third day story was me being miserable <laughs> is what I'm saying. So then I, I wonder like this, I, like I know that we, I know that there's some uh, racial bias in the way a lot of players are, uh, per, are, um, are sort of presented by the media mm-hmm. or, you know, perceived by various factions. Uh, and with Kawasaki, it seems to be there is a little bit as as of uh, there's a I would say that there's maybe a little bit of lovable fool in the way that he is presented. Yes, to definitely. Us. Um, yeah. And I wonder, I don't know, I, I wonder whether he whether it's just his personality or whether he plays that up himself. I can't tell. Um, I mean, he's he always he, he kind of uh, he says things that are regarded as very endearing and adorable and adorable Mm -hmm. uh and i feel like if i were an extremely marginal player like kawasaki uh if i (laughs) felt like people were were i don't know appreciating more me more because of that i would i would do more of that i would carry around my little phrase book and and say you know charming things all the time because uh there's no there's no other way that kawasaki is going to be popular i mean he happened to have a few clutch hits and that helped um but in the long run he is a pretty pretty bad baseball player Um, he walked every seventh plate appearance yeah i wrote i wrote something about that uh how he was just kind of he just he just sort of stopped swinging (laughs) because when when he did swing bad things tended to happen um so he just kind of wasn't swinging and it was sort of temporarily working uh but i didn't really think it would continue to work um anyway so he i mean he he does seem to have come to mean something to the team uh they seem to to care about him and and we're sorry that he would be optioned and you can completely understand it from a baseball perspective from a statistical perspective it makes all the sense in the world uh, he doesn't have a lot to contribute to the team on the field with Reyes back. Um, but, you know, we always talk about clubhouse chemistry and how we can't evaluate it directly. And so we're always looking for these tells, sort of, or we're, we're looking for a sign of how much teams value it. Uh, and so I kind of wondered, I mean, Kawasaki seems like the embodiment of chemistry right now. I, maybe there are different types of chemistry. Maybe he's like a like a comic relief, keep guys loose kind of chemistry, more so than a inspiring leadership chemistry. I don't know whether whether those distinctions make sense, um, but but he did seem to mean a lot to the team. And so you're talking about the difference between him and 
whoever the 25th guy is now, the Blue Jays have an eight-man bullpen. Uh, so presumably they could spare someone from there if they if they felt like Kawasaki was just contributing so much via chemistry that it would make sense to keep him around. Uh, they have Mark DeRosa, who has hit fairly well, is kind of useful as a, a pl- platoon guy who can, you know, hit lefties a little bit and play a few positions, but he's also... Mega chemistry guy. Yeah, and also a chemistry guy, so... Yeah, super-duper so, chemistry guy. Yeah, so that's another thing I was wondering was, you know, when he was signed, he... I mean, he really hasn't hit for the last few seasons. He's kind of hitting this year uh, in a small sample, but hadn't hit for a while. And when he was signed, Anthopolis pretty much said it was because of chemistry and intangibles and that they had just imported all of these stars and remade the roster and they felt like they needed to do something for that side of things. And I think he even said that it wasn't a move they would have made a few years ago. Um but I guess they've they've kind of come around on the importance of that. So they signed DeRosa. Uh, so he's, I mean, he's sort of expendable in that he's 38 and he's not making a lot of money and he's not signed through next season, although he does have an option. And uh, so I wonder whether if DeRosa weren't himself a chemistry guy, um, you know, if he were just replacement level chemist, uh, would he... Would he still be on the team instead of Kawasaki? Or I guess what's the what's the difference in wins between Kawasaki, who is worthless, uh, probably, or or maybe worse than worthless, um, and the next the next worst the next most you know least worthy player on the roster, who is probably also fairly worthless. And over a few months of a season, I would think the difference between Kawasaki and the next guy statistically is is not large um so I wonder whether uh whether that has anything to do with it whether in a different in a different circumstance if it hadn't been DeRosa um you know if they hadn't already kind of had a chemistry guy playing Kawasaki's position whether they might have considered keeping him even though he's not a very good baseball player just because of whatever benefit that adds and I wonder whether there are diminishing returns to chemistry like is there a point at which you have a couple good clubhouse guys and adding another good clubhouse guy does nothing you can't you yeah can't, you yeah. can't add any more to it because you already just have good chemistry uh and and Reyes himself is seems like a kind of a, a guy who keeps people loose and is popular and has fun and all of those sort of things um so yeah, I wondered about those things. Yeah, I I had the same when when I uh, my first reaction to this was oh well they already have DeRosa and then yeah. I just thought talk about an oversimplified view of, <laughs> of human nature. I mean the idea that oh they've got a good guy yeah. <laughs> they can have twenty four guys where it doesn't matter right. at all because uh, they got one. <laughs> Uh, so I obviously don't have answers to any of your questions. So let me let me just spin off and, and ask you a question okay. that you won't have an answer for. Uh, you've got you've got let's say you know you've got a twenty five man roster. Let's say uh, you know in your in your head just kind of imagine that all of them are ranked from one to twenty five. Mm-hmm. One one is your best player. One is you know your Batista. Um, you know or your, your Dickie or your Reyes. Okay, and then twenty five is your your worst player. All right, which number guy is it best to have be your chemistry guy if you if you can have one 
80 chemistry player on your team, mm-hmm. do you want him to be the best player, the worst player, or 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 what? Huh. Um, I guess it doesn't seem like it usually is this way, but I I guess maybe I'd I'd want it to be kind of my my star, my, my yeah. face of the franchise type player. Um, just because that's probably the guy who I'm going to make the longest commitment to. And, well, I don't know. I, I don't know whether whether being a good player enhances your ability to be a leader or be a clubhouse guy. Um, you hear sometimes that it, it does, like you can't be a leader in a clubhouse if you're hitting 200. Uh, but there are also lots of fringy players who are on rosters it seems like because of their personalities or at least that's a factor in it so i guess i would want my batista type to be the guy that's the guy who's going to be around longest and kind of has the most credibility because he's a really good player and and i'm credit yeah credibility but it could be that there's also there could be an envy there right you could have 24 guys who envy that guy uh for what he has and for the attention that he gets naturally well, if that were the case, I guess he wouldn't be such a good clubhouse guy, right? Like a, a great well, clubhouse guy would be able to diffuse that envy. He'd be so lovable that no one would be able to hold it against him that he's perfect. I don't know. You're, you're asking a lot <laughs> of your clubhouse guy. I mean, you, it, it could be that, but I mean, it could be that. Like if Mark DeRosa hit, you know, 74 home runs this year, uh, yeah, probably nobody would hold it against him, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I can't imagine that he would lose popularity for being awesome all of a sudden. Well, so yeah, have, you probably are safe. A hundred columns written about his, his possible steroid use. It, the, if he were your star and he were your clubhouse guy, he would probably have more distractions. He would be, yeah. uh, his, his attention would be, uh, being pulled in lots of different yes, directions. He would have to do interviews all the time. Although I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I mean, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe you don't want your, your star player to be the guy with 30 people around his locker every night. I mean, you're already going to have that to some degree if he's also the best quote. Yeah, that's uh, true. I, I mean, there's some teams that, um, like uh, we had a guest piece at BP the other day about Brendan Ryan uh, and how he's a really good quote and, and interview or, you know, reporters like to talk to him and they go to him after games for quotes, uh, even though he's not the greatest player. So maybe that does kind of relieve the burden on a star who's going to always have a lot of attention on him regardless of whether he can put a sentence together or not. Um, yeah. 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 And if it's the 25th guy, that guy's got a lot more incentive to keep being the 80 chemistry. Yeah. Whereas the star doesn't have that incentive. It's, it's all, uh, you know, it's all his own choosing. Whereas DeRosa, DeRosa is never going to let that slip. DeRosa is going to do the batting practice equivalent of, <laughs> You know, going out early and taking extra chemistry. Kissing babies and shaking hands every, every day. Morning. He's going to be, yeah, yeah, he is that guy. That guy visits hospitals <laughs> like, there's, like there's no right. tomorrow. Uh, well, isn't it almost more admirable then if it is the star who is the good clubhouse guy? Because he doesn't have to be necessarily. It could be. Could be. It could be. It could be. Right. It, it shows his... Uh, that it's not a self-serving right. thing. It's tr- it's pure. It's pure. It's pure altruism. Exactly. A, a very rare thing in in a baseball clubhouse, 
or life? <sighs> There's so many, so many layers to this. How are we? How are we, Ben? How are, how are you and I ever going to run a major league franchise if we can't answer this simple question? <laughs> you know, well, I'd I'd be interested to know what what teams think about this sort of thing. I might, I might go, I, I don't know if we, do you think that you could identify just, ba- I mean, obviously you couldn't do it accurately because you, you know, you, you wouldn't know, but do you think that you could identify, uh, the clubhouse chemistry guy on every team, uh, if you looked at the roster? Uh, no, not on every team. Um, but probably on more than half of them, I guess, just from, just from reading things over the years and guys having certain reputations, I don't uh-huh. know that I could tell if I just stood in a clubhouse on a team that, I don't know, like a minor league team where I didn't know anyone uh, and just watch their interactions and, and conclude who was the clubhouse guy. No, I know. I mean, looking at like if I showed you the Tigers roster, would you go, oh, yeah, well, of course, it's Cabrera or whatever. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, maybe we should if maybe you, we should do that on a future show. Maybe we should. Is it if I showed you the Tigers roster, would you say it was Cabrera? Uh... Looking at the Tigers roster, um, isn't I guess Tory Hunter? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, now it's definitely Tory. Yeah, Hunter, of course. Although, yeah, All I right. guess so. Although I don't, I don't know whether he commands the same instant respect there that he did on a team that he's been I'm on not, for a while. I'm not asking if we could name the actual clubhouse. Uh-huh. I'm asking Just if we could name the guy who is guy. yes, the guy who has who who wears the clubhouse guy mm-hmm. uh, label in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be fun. All we right. should do that on the show. Or something. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So speaking of the Tigers, okay. uh, on episode 37 of our podcast, which, by the way, I listened to, and we were so low energy. So bad. I, I listened to a clip the other day. I, I guess it was the, the one where I was pulling the, the clip of me picking the Orioles not to win a World Series ever, and I couldn't believe that anyone is still listening to the show who might have been listening to it then? No, well, it's, you know, we you you know we can make fun of the idea of you begging for iTunes comments, <laughs> but uh, in fact, early on, a lot of the iTunes comments were like, "Great show," except Ben Lindbergh died <laughs> during episode yes. two, and they keep what, recording. What drugs are what drugs are they taking before each episode? <laughs> and, and and to his credit, Ben took that seriously, <laughs> and I think I took it seriously too. And I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed every one of them, but but it did it did dawn on me that maybe I should. Try to turn up the energy a little bit. There's only so much that I can do. But So episode 37, we talked about the Tigers' defense being exactly what we thought it would be, yeah. which is terrible. Uh-huh. And uh, it's still bad. Um, it's 24th in baseball and UZR, and I think it's around the same uh, in other metrics. So it's a bad defense. Um, the other thing, though, that you've heard about the Tigers is that they have phenomenal pitching, and in particular... Um, they're on a record-breaking strikeout pace. They are striking out more than a batter in inning as a staff, uh, which is like would be the scariest thing in the world to um, you know to find out in 1988. Like someday there will be a team that strikes out a batter per inning. It would shock you. And, and um, there's a thing like uh, I, I just looked at our our def- defensive efficiency report, and they are second to last. Um, okay, there you and go. wasn't. Is, there's a thing where uh, high strikeout pitchers or maybe high velocity pitchers, and they have both, I think, allow lower BABIPs, I believe, uh, I guess because of weak contact or whatever. So 
if that's the case, then that makes them look even worse than because yeah. they have an excellent pitching staff and they still don't rate well defensively. Yeah, so uh, and and all five of their starting pitchers have a uh, ERA that's at least a half a run worse than their FIP, mm-hmm. um, and uh, in some cases much worse. And yeah, so anyway, the point is that um, the Tigers have uh, it's an interesting approach because they um, they have a terrible defense and yet very few balls put in play. And I'm trying to figure out if this is working exactly according to plan uh, or if they're wasting their their pitching, you know, based on the, you know, the FIP ERA divide that I just told you. But just to put this in perspective, um, the Tigers allow four fewer balls in play than the Twins every game, hmm, which means wow. that over the course yeah. of a year... I mean, that's, that's yeah, total extremes, <laughs> the Twins and the Tigers. It is total, but... yeah. It is total extremes, but, you know, over the course of the year, uh, you know, cut that in half and you get them compared to, to the to the median, okay? Mm-hmm. So, um, but over the course of the year, that's 650 balls in play. So, that's like 90, 90 per, per position. Yeah. And so, um, I just wonder whether this is an inefficiency. Being able to ignore defense is an inefficiency, or if strikeouts are so kind of like front and center and impossible to get at any sort of discount rate that it doesn't make sense to do this and that you're probably overpaying for your pitchers uh, to try to do this, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like you can't really get a bargain on a strikeout pitcher, can you? Probably not. Uh, so if you could, then this would be awesome because then you could get your strikeout pitchers and then you know pay nothing for defense and you know know that it's going to – not matter, but um, but it pro- probably, in fact, it's the opposite. I would think. I can't get my head around. I can't figure out which way this works. Yeah, yeah. So, do you think this is a plan that has worked, or do you think this is a uh, a flaw that that they are barely playing through? I think it. I think it's. I, I think I like it. Uh, I do. It's. If nothing else, yeah. If it's nothing not else, like it's aesthetically. Pleasing, like I want, I want them to be good in all facets of the game, sort of. Or, right. But, but I think it's sort of smart not to, not to get too hung up on the defense because, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's less important for them than it is for any other team. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think you've yes, you've clarified it, uh, this in my brain. Yes, it is. It might not necessarily be a. a great uh it, like it might not be a strategy that saves you a ton or anything but once you've got one then the other half is very complimentary yeah. so if they knew if they had the strikeout staff and they knew they had the strikeout staff then it makes a lot of sense yeah. to sort of semi-punt defense and if they start with the awful defense and four dhs then it makes a lot of sense to go get strikeout pitchers instead of getting a bunch of you know contact pitchers yeah right? and they are they are always the team that that drafts big guys who throw hard and get a lot of strikeouts so that I mean, it seems like that is their strategy for acquiring pitchers and developing pitchers and seems like a fairly smart strategy. It certainly produced a good staff. Uh, so, yeah, if you're going to do that, um, then I think it, it makes some sense. Uh, yeah. So yeah. so maybe maybe not brilliant, maybe not revolutionary, but certainly but smart. It's uh, it's it's smart. It's working with what you've got. 
Um, do you think it puts them in a cycle where it's hard to get out of this because it's hard to rebuild a defense all at once and it's hard to, you know, get away from a pitching staff all at once. So now they kind of have no choice, but to just keep doing this, uh, to a greater and greater degree (laughs) until, uh, until they explode. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I guess, I mean, it's, it's working very, very well for them. So they don't have a lot of incentive to try something different. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess once it could get to a point, I mean, eventually Cabrera is really not going to be playable at third, um, even for them. And maybe Fielder will get to that point at, at some some point during the life of his contract. And then there will be some kind of logjam. And, uh, and maybe you have to go with a couple more defensively oriented people at some positions. I I don't know. I'm, I'm sure, I don't know that they're locked into this forever. Um, but I guess with the current core, they kind of are, and and that's okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm I'm okay with it. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, that actually reminded me um, when you brought up episode 37. Episode 38 uh, was when we talked about Omar Vizquel and how uh, and and basically at what point clubhouse chemistry can't cancel out being bad at baseball and he was on the Blue Jays. So this is probably exactly the example I was looking for. Um, Omar Vizquel last year was 45 years old. Uh, he hit 235, 265, 281, which is Kawasaki-esque, maybe, maybe worse than Kawasaki would do. Uh, he got into 60 games and got 163 plate appearances and he was on the roster all season. He was never, never optioned. He was just always there, not really playing, not playing well when he was playing. Uh, but they kept him on because he was the the veteran mentor type who would, I don't know, teach people how to play shortstop and conduct themselves well and all that sort of thing. And and clearly they they valued him enough to to keep him all season. So I guess maybe that enters it. If if they would keep Omar Vizquel at age 45 on their roster all season, and to be fair, I guess. Uh, that wasn't a competitive team, so maybe that changes things. They are expected to win now, uh, so they probably, I mean, you know, they didn't try to bring Vizquel back, as far as I know. Um, so maybe that makes the difference, and they wouldn't they wouldn't keep a 45-year-old Omar Vizquel on the current Blue Jays team. But, um, but I guess that's kind of the analog. So maybe in the same sort of situation, if they didn't have a DeRosa, uh, they would keep a Kawasaki. Uh, yeah, I was trying to look up an Omar Vizquel fun fact, but I didn't get there in time. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, we're done then, I guess. All right. Good. Okay. Uh, one more show tomorrow. Send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. <laughs>